We've been in First uh, John, and we, uh, we got really to the heart of the book. The heart of the book is about love, and we've been there um, for a couple weeks, just kind of getting a sense for what um, love is supposed to be like. Um, interesting what John does today is he, he begins to talk about how love and fear are connected. Um, and and we, we live, it's crazy, we live in a world where we're all kind of afraid of a whole bunch of stuff. I, um, and, and what's weird about it is that the more we learn, actually the, the greater our anxiety. I think it's, uh, the latest statistic is that fully one-third of Americans will um, at some point be treated for anxiety or depression. That's just the people who get treated. And I know, I've been one. I've, I, I've, I'm not excused from that. I'm, I'm part of that 33%. So uh, I, I, for those of you who have experienced that or are experiencing that, I, I empathize, I sympathize. And I know that um, the world that we live in really is frightening in some ways. And what's crazy is the more we learn, the more we know, the more frightening it, it gets. Because we know all this stuff, we, we have this very clear um, cause and effect kind of understanding of how things work. Let me explain that for just a second. So, for example, we know a lot about economics um, that they didn't know up until really the Enlightenment and, then, and, and now it's even more refined, our knowledge of economics. We know what it takes to get what we need. We know, you know, we, we understand supply and demand. We understand that uh, if you don't have X, you won't be able to get Y. And so we know that in order to get the stuff that we want or need, we're going to need to have this kind of job or this kind of paycheck. And so we're constantly worried, am I going to have this job? Am I going to have this kind of paycheck? We've got um, a fascinating insight into human psychology now. Um, We know that human desire is really crazy, really irrational. We know that there's some really deep set needs that people have. And so as a result, if we're um, dating someone or we're married to someone, we understand that if we don't provide X, Y, and Z, that person may stop loving us. Even if we do provide X, Y, and Z, if we don't do it in the right way, that person still might stop loving us. We know this. And so as a result, we are constantly insecure in our relationships. We have anxiety about our marriages, about our relationships, not just uh, romantic ones, but also friendships the same way. Because we understand that people have needs, and if you don't meet those needs, then you're in trouble. We could go on and on, but all of us at some level understand the, um, the insecurity and the anxiety and the fear that we have about almost everything in our lives. And consequently, there's, uh, there's a lot of people out there who, who are preaching, here's how you get peace, right? Here's how you get freed from fear. Here's how you're going to have a life that's awesome. You know, it's going to be, uh, I don't know, it's going to be yoga, or it's going to be, what are the other things that people do to, uh, oh, meditation, you know, presence, peacefulness. There's lots of different theories and activities and, and, and disciplines that people undergo in order to get that, to, to get rid of that fear. As we um, journey through the scripture today, I, I just want to invite you to, to attend closely to what it really takes to get freed from fear. Uh, we're going to read 1 John four seventeen to 19 together. This is my translation. I've just, I will make some notes on a few of the things that I've done, especially if you're familiar with um, older readings, but it really is just to, to get a, a really a clear co- uh, contemporary English um, feel of the text so that it feels the same way that it would have felt um, in the first century. This is when love has reached its goal in us, when we are fearless on the day of judgment. 
since we're just like God in this world. There's no fear in love. In fact, mature love casts out fear because fear expects punishment. The one who fears has not yet matured in love. We love because God first loved us. Um, I have up there, you know, point out fearless on the day of judgment. Fear expects punishment. Oh, man. It's crazy, right? Uh, what, what, what is this love um, that we're, we're supposed to be experiencing? Well, last week we talked a little bit about that love. That love has reached its goal on us I have here. Mature love, matured in love. Um, interestingly, the way that traditional translations will say something like, um, love has, re- has become perfect in us. Um, when we're confident in the day of judgment. Perfect love casts out fear. Um, those who, uh, who fear have not yet been made perfect in love. You hear this word perfect, perfect, perfect. Uh, that's not a great, uh, it's not helpful in contemporary English because when we think of the word perfect, we think of things like uh, flawless, right? Like I wish that I were a flawless husband, a perfect husband. My life would presumably be a lot easier if that were the case. Um, However, however, there's a difference, you know, between being a perfect husband and being a mature husband, right? A perfect husband is, I don't know, probably one of those guys in the Disney movies, like Prince Eric. He seems like he's probably a perfect husband, really focused on her needs all the time. Um, that's great, but I'm, I'm probably not able to live up to that, so I'm going to try and live up to being like a mature husband, like just, just getting the basics down, really ha- being comfortable, steady, focused on all of the stuff that it, it, that it means to be a good um, husband, a good father, and, and to try and focus on those things, do my best. It won't be perfect, it won't be flawless, but it'll be mature. Uh, the word behind all of those, um, love has reached its goal, mature love, matured in love, um, are various uh, variations on the Greek word for te- telos, or end, or goal. Um, so really, literally in Greek, it's reaching the goal um, of love. It's, it's a mature love, a love that's finally reached what it's supposed to be. Um, in the ancient world, they were strongly influenced by Aristotle. And Aristotle believed that the entire universe was teleological. That is, it had end or purpose. And so everybody was supposed to be moving in line with that end or purpose. And similarly, John picks up on that. And he, and he follows that. We, we have a purpose for our love. It's not supposed to be perfect or flawless. But it is supposed to grow into something that is steady, that is good. And we talked about that last week. We talked about what the agape love is. And um, if we could take a look at that. Is that the next slide? Yep. The mature agape love of God. It hurts. Yeah, it's crazy. Like God actually hurts in the way that he loves us. Um, we looked last week at how he sent his son. So the father and the son, even though they're one being, are, are separated because of the sending of the son. It costs God. Um, it, it wasn't easy for God to, to do what God did. In fact, in the person of the Son, giving up heaven, giving up the eternal life, and, and coming down and, and being human like us, being humiliated, and then being, being attacked and denigrated in this world, that cost God. It was, a, it, was a, it was a major, major gift that God was willing to give out of God's self in order to, to redeem us. This love takes the initiative. God didn't wait for us to love. God loved us first. God, wherever God's looking, God just jumps in with love. That's, that's the kind of love he has. And it's deeply affectionate. A Greek agape love was very distant, very cold, dispassionate. But this love is engaged, and, it, and it's, it's real, it's, it's, it's vibrant, and it's, it's for you. It's, God, God loves you deeply, affectionately. 
And as a result, his love um, was made in Jesus an atonement sacrifice we saw last week. And, And at the basic level, it sets the wrong things in the world right. It's not a love that leaves everything alone. It's a love instead that comes in and, and straightens what's crooked and, and makes, makes everything right the way that it's supposed to be, the way that the world is, is ultimately going to be in heaven. It's that kind of love. That's mature agape love. And um, I, the first thing in your note sheets is, is that this is a, a love that's much, steady and, and it mirrors God's love. It isn't flawless. Right? So mature, perfect love, it has all of those things. It has those characteristics, but it's not flawless. It's just steady, and it mirrors God's love. Let's um, take a look again at the, at the text. This is when we know that love has reached its goal, when we're fearless on the day of judgment. Since we're just like God in this world, there's no fear in love. In fact, mature love casts out fear. Fear expects punishment. The one who fears is not yet matured in love. We love because God first loved us. That word punishment only gets used one other time in uh, the New Testament, and it's really it's talking about eternal judgment, like heaven and hell kind of judgment. And yet uh, we, we see that there's this day of judgment that, that John's evoking, like an end of days, right? And, and somehow when our love is right, when our love is, is mature, then on that day we're not going to be scared. We're going to be confident. That word fearless can be confident, bold on the day of judgment. We're going to have, once this love has reached its goal, and once we've become this particular way, then on the day that God judges the world, we're going to be like, I'm ready, do your worst. Love's going to cast out fear. Fear expects punishment. Really, I think primarily what John is picking up on is an ancient idea um, that the gods really enjoy making human life miserable. We talked about this a little bit last week. Do we have the slide here? Um, yeah, Zeus and Athena and Hermes and Poseidon, Dionysus. Interestingly, Dionysus is the god of partying, uh, so he has a great time. But one of the things that Dionysus enjoys is seeing how partying hurts people. Like, because afterwards, it's really bad. <laughs> and, and Dionysus thinks that's funny. Because the gods don't really care about us in the ancient world, right? Zeus is like, he thinks it's entertaining to throw down lightning bolts and start fires and, and, and see people's lives devastated. Poseidon thinks it's, it's interesting and fun to see how humans respond when the, the, the tempest comes up and the waves crash against the boats and, and people are, are, are sent to sea. The gods aren't particularly interested in our lives and insofar as they are, they like and enjoy seeing us hurt. In some iterations of telling of the telling of, of, of the God of Israel, Yahweh, it seems like it could be read that, that God is interested in, in punishing people, especially some of the Old Testament stories. If you wanted to read them that way, you could. And we know that ancient Jewish people did read them that way, that they were reading these, these old uh, the stories about how God interacted with the world, and they were looking at a God who was out to punish and to hurt, and to, if you're not perfect, if you don't do things my way, I'm going to get you. That's not who God is. Um, If we've been following that mature love of God, if we've been letting that settle in our hearts, we know that God's not like that at all. God's not um, ready to to punish us. He doesn't want to punish us. He wants to love us. He wants to see us made right. 
Uh, he, he, his love is it's furious, we sang last week. It's, it's passionate. It's engaged. It doesn't let go. It's coming after you. It, it, it doesn't want to see you um, get hurt and beat up. Instead, it, it, it's, it's after you to, to seize you and to fix you. And what John picks up on, what he understands is, is that if you start living that way, right? if you start actually doing that, that's his whole thing. It's like, I want you to love the way God loves. God's love is this. I want you to start doing that. And here's what's crazy. When you start to do that, when you start to love that way, in a way that hurts, in a way that costs you something, in a way that you're taking the initiative, you're not waiting for someone to make the first move, in, in a way where you're deeply affectionate, when you start doing that, when you start setting wrong things right with your love, what you find out is you, find, you get an experience in your being that's a sliver, a fraction of what God experiences for all of us all the time. I want you to hear that again. When you begin loving in this way, in a way that costs you, that hurts you, that's deeply affectionate, takes the initiative, sets wrong things right, when you start loving that way, you are experiencing in your very being what it is, a fraction, a tiny, infinitesimal, tiny little fraction, tiny little fraction of what God experiences always for everyone. God is looking at, so you're, you're living this way, you're, probably starts with like a spouse or a close friend, a re- close relative, a child, something like that, someone that, that you're already deeply affectionate towards, and you begin um, lavishing love on this person to set the wrong things right in, in, in their lives, um, to, to be willing to take a great cost and even be hurt to see that. When you start to experience that for someone that you deeply care about, you start to see, you experience exactly, fraction of, but, but a piece of God, how God feels about you. And who among us, when we're living in that kind of love for another, is thinking about, oh man, I can't wait to beat that person up. Yeah, let's smash him. Ha <laughs> ha! I mean, that's ridiculous. It's absurd. The kind of love, when we start living this, this, this self-giving, self-sacrificial love for someone for whom we're deeply affectionate, we recognize and, and start to realize you would never, ever, ever want to hurt or punish or destroy that person. If that happens, that's for some other reason. That's not your heart. That's not who you are. Your heart is filled with with a desire for their best, to see them flourish. And so John says, he's he's saying, when you start to live this love, you're going to have confidence in the day of judgment. You're not going to worry about God coming out to punish you because you're going to understand how he feels about you. And he really, really, really loves you. And that's that in your note sheets. But I don't want us to miss um, what I think is perhaps the most profound uh, thing in this text. And that's, that's because if you're with me so far, you're, you're like, okay, so the whole thing about fear is it's not really fear that I deal with. It's more like a fear of God's punishment. That's what I don't need to worry about when I start living in love. When I start living in love, I'm going to uh, start to understand God's heart um, and so I'm going to recognize that God's not out to punish me, and so that's going to free me of fear from God. So if you're the kind of person who here today is afraid that God is, is out there waiting for him, just waiting for a chance to squash you, your job this week is to find somebody that, you're, that you have a great affection for, and your job is to self-givingly love them in just one way. 
and to experience what that does for you in your life, to experience what it is to to have that love, and then to remember that's a fraction, a tiny infinitesimal point of God's love for you. And when you do that, you will be on the first step towards a mature love. But I don't want us to miss that there is a larger impact here. It's not just about fear of God punishing us. It's something much larger. And and notice, um, John says, since we are just like God in this world. This is a profound statement that is uh, difficult for us to get our heads around. But what John is saying is that when you love this way, it is just as if you are living God's life in this world. That you are experiencing the life that God has, that God exists eternally in God's being. You're You're experiencing that now in this place. If you remember, and probably you don't, I barely remember, when we first started 1 John, I I promised you, I said, this is what this whole book is about. It is about learning to live the eternal life of God, to live God's life after him. This is it. This is what John was moving up to. He's saying, if you love this way, you will be living God's life now. And something really interesting happens when you do that. Let's take a look at this uh, picture. Yes. Mind-boggling. I mean, what? If you read there, it, sa- it, tells, it tells you um, in the text that those, I guess, purple-blue uh, bars are, are horizontal and parallel. Right? They are not bent. They are not angled. They are actually like this. And yet the human mind can't see that. Yeah. Uh, no, and so when this came out, the internet blew up, as the internet is wont to do. Um, because a lot of people were like, no way. No way. This is, that, not, not a chance. Impossible. They're not. So these people took this picture, and they brought it into a Photoshop an illustrator, and they used a function to check to see if, in fact, um, the, 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 horiz- the purple bars are, in fact, parallel and horizontal, and they are. It's been verified by computer nerds, so you can trust it. Um, if you want to see, the only way that the human eye can, can really see it is if you blur everything. So what some people did is they, they went and they blurred it so that you can't see the colors, <laughs> and then you can tell that the lines are parallel. Yeah, Victoria Skye invented that. She is a, um, a magical entertainer. That's her job title. And so part of being a magical entertainer is creating stuff like this. So thanks, Victoria. I think she's British. Makes sense. All right, uh, let's go back. For, let's go back, Tori. Go back, go back to the weird one. Go back to the weird one. Yeah, okay. Now, the reason this works, the reason this works is because she says, I mean, who knows, but uh, the, the interplay between the black and white, <laughs> uh, if you notice that it's alternating, and so it, it's tricking your mind into expecting something that, um, that you're, you're supposed to see. And also, if you notice the um, little purple like blobs in the middle of those white squares, they kind of alternate. They go back and forth as you go down. This also leads your mind to expect something that's not really there. I, look, I did it. I went ahead and I put like a flat piece of paper on the, the computer screen. It's true. They're, they're flat. It's weird. Um, what if... What if the way that we see the world is kind of like this? Because it's obvious, right? I mean, we started out, when we started our, our, 
our sermon, The Journey, today, we, we looked and we were like, hey, it's really clear. We know so much about the world. We know that, that relationships are based on X, Y, and Z. We know that economics uh, do this, that, and the other thing. So we know exactly what we need to do to live the life, to, to, to have our desires uh, fulfilled, to, to be happy. We know exactly what we, know, we need to do because we know cause and effect. We have a very strong sense of things from the sci- thanks to the sciences about what will lead to what. And so we know that if we want our kids to have a good life, they have to go to college and they have to go to a good college because uh, we know that the economy is, is rapidly um, pushing people who don't go to college out. And so uh, if we want our kids to have a good life, they need to get into college. So we have to worry a lot about their grades in junior high um, so that they, we really have to punish them if they get anything less than A's when they're in fifth grade. Uh, because if we don't, if we don't, their life is going to be ruined because we know the beginning and the end. What? Who, who does? does anyone do that? Who punish? Wendy? Wendy, do you punish your kids? It's terrible. Let them be kids. Wait till they're in high school, then you punish them. <laughs> what if, what if um, that way of seeing the world is radically skewed? What if it's like this? What if it, it, that's the way the world looks to us in our human minds, right? It looks like that's, it's cause and effect, it's this, it's that, and, and so we have to da, 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 da. But what if the world is different than we see and perceive? What if the world was created by a God who loves furiously? What if the world is, is created by a God who gives of himself, who's willing to hurt for it? A God who will bear any cost to see it flourish. A God who is deeply affectionate, takes the initiative. A God who sets the wrong things right. What if that's the one who created the world? What if underneath what we can see, the logic of the world, there's something else going on? What if, it, if, if that sort of love, what if that is the true heart of every human being of the entire universe, and that it's all heading in that direction. What if that's the case? Maybe our brains are tricking us into seeing the world in a way that it isn't really. Maybe we're being tricked into seeing that what's important is this, and what's important is that, and how to get this and that is by this, 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 and this, and we could be wrong about all of it. Tori, let's jump ahead to the text again. There's this crazy thing that happens when you love this way. You start to perceive the world just as God does. That's crazy. Because presumably God sees things a lot more clearly than we do. God sees things according to a different value system than we do. God sees things much, much different than we do. And yet, John promises, when you have mature love, when your love is being lived out this way, you start to perceive and act just like God. What does that mean? Uh, well, so if... Um, I, there's, there's some channels on the TV where... Um, they, they can help you with your spiritual life. Uh, they, they tell you, you know, th- something like, oh, you need a million dollars? You've got to give a lot first. And then God will give you even more. They call this the prosperity gospel. Um, you know, you have your desires, right? Things that you need in your life. You need to have uh, economic security, relationship security. Uh, you need to know your kids are going to have a good life. You need to have all these things. And so the key is, the key is to, to give a lot. 
And if you do that, then God's going to open up the coffers and just dump gold and silver and gems on you. Uh, or I guess G5s are the new thing. It's like a private airplane that, that has like a whole bed and everything. It's like Air Force One. Uh, yeah, the G5. So that's, that's how it works, right? Is that what John's saying? No, I don't think so. I think that instead, it's not as though if we just, I'm going to love today, and suddenly I'm going to get all the stuff that I want. I think, what, I think what John is saying, I think what he's suggesting is not if you love this way, you get everything you want. I think what he's saying is that you start to want different things. I think what he's saying is when you start to see the world this way, when it's okay that the world hurts, when it's okay that, that love costs you something, when it's okay to take the initiative, when it's okay to be deeply affectionate, when it's okay to set the, right, the wrong things right, when you start loving like that, the stuff that matters to you changes. You start to have the same kind of values that God has. If those things stop mattering to you so much, you won't be so worried all the time. That's how fear or love casts out fear. It changes you. So that the stuff that, by the way, yeah, it's not like the leader guy has it figured out and he's yelling at you. No. I'm pre- uh, <laughs> Without fail, I'm always preaching to myself first and you second. <laughs> so every sermon is a little bit like psychology class for Tom. Uh, but but it, it, it's, it's true, though. I, I, this isn't like, oh, I've got it figured out. I'm living my life without fear. Are you kidding me? I've got all the same anxieties, all the same stresses that you all have. I do. I worry about a lot of things. But I also recognize that that's probably because I've been fooled by the optical illusion. I've been, I've bought into a system and a regime that is nonsense. I have bought into a world order that is ordered by the enemy, not by the cross. And as a result, I have a hard time seeing what really matters, where the real value is. And I have a hard time showing that to my wife and to my kids. It's difficult. And yet I believe, I believe deeply that those who achieve mature love really do stop being afraid. I believe it because I've seen it. I've seen it in this place. This is the place uh, where I uh, came to faith. This is the, well, not came to faith, but came to a mature faith. Um, This is the place where I have seen human beings who really are saints, really are transformed by love. I know this is real because I know the people that, that brought me up here in this place. I know that Marianne, for example, Marianne Fisher, for those of you who don't know her, dear saint, um, she, she really did love. Like, she really, she wasn't worried. The woman wasn't worried. It was, it was fascinating. I was like, how do I get some of that? Wouldn't it be great to go around without fear all the time? And she was living it because she was loving in a different way. She had different values. She had been transformed. I know because uh, I've been and worked at Camp Allendale. It's a, one of our major missions. Where they, uh, it's a camp for kids who are abused and neglected. And, and Robin and Karen, before they went, they came to this church, got saved in this church, and, and they were living the life. They're driving Porsches, you know, working in Newport, doing it all, and they just gave it up. They gave it all up to go live in Idlewild, of all places. It's like, if you're going to do it, do it in San Clemente, Okay. <laughs> 
Why would you go to Idlewild? Maybe, maybe their values are different. Maybe it was shifted for them. They see differently than we see because the love of God was matured in them. Right? This is the last thing in your notes. If you change the slide, it'll be there, I think, probably. I did make this PowerPoint. <laughs> Love that casts out fear does not transform the world. It transforms us. God didn't call you to save the world. He didn't call you to fix everything. He did call you to love in a way that does straighten things out, but he didn't do that because he needs your help. It's not as though God needs you know, your help to do what God is going to do. No, rather, God is interested in, in shaping you and informing you. And he wants you to stop seeing that optical illusion. He wants you to start seeing the world as it really is, for what really matters. And he says, here's the path to do it. It's not yoga. Yoga's, you know, people do yoga. It's not meditation. It's not, uh, in the Christian tradition, typically, you know, beating yourself with a, with a whip. Kids, if you don't know about that, that's what they used to do in the Middle Ages, a very strange time. That's not what does it. What does it is self-giving love. Mature love. And so um, I, I just want to leave you uh, with this question. What are you afraid of? And I would like to actually literally take um, about 30 seconds because that's about as much silence as anyone can take before it gets really uncomfortable. And in that time, I would like you to be honest about what it is that that's where your fear is in this life. Um, so we're going to take 30 seconds. I'm going to count it in my head. And in that time, I want you to be honest in your heart about what you are afraid of. Okay. Now I want you to think about this. How would you have to change so that you aren't afraid of that anymore? What would have to change about you? What what values, what desires, what would have to change about you so that you weren't afraid of that anymore? Because I think what John is saying is he's saying if you begin to love like Jesus loved and you make that your practice, you will change in this way. You won't be afraid of that anymore. You will be at peace. You will be living as God lived in the world and you will be ready for the last day. Because then we're all going to be doing this all the time. We may as well start now. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, uh, we confess that we are people, um, people of fear. We fear punishment. We fear loss. The world um, threatens us in a lot of ways, God. And yet you tell us that if we love as you love, that love will cast out fear. God, transform us into a congregation and a people who love in ways that are, we're willing to hurt, willing to incur great cost, willing to take the initiative, willing to be deeply, unreservedly affectionate, willing to see the wrong things set right, 
God, give uh, each of us opportunities this week to love in that way. Give us opportunities to experience the way you love us, to recognize that you're not out to punish and to hurt, but instead to save and to redeem. God, take away our fear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.